I noticed that somewhere in the subconscious of every musician, there is the sounds they hear. So I'm sure that these two very particular sonorities is part of the common sonority that most Russian musicians hear when they play in a quartet, because there is a way of producing the sound that I notice is very vocal. That's Cuban-American violinist Ilmar Gavilan. He's the first violinist with the Harlem Quartet and currently teaches at the Manhattan School of Music. His story and educational trajectory is so fascinating, it was actually turned into a documentary film recently. I'm Melissa Green. We sat down to talk about his documentary film, Making Music, and his upcoming performance this Friday, November 11th with the Phoenix Chamber Music Society. I'm Melissa Green. This is a new episode of Heart of the Arts. You've had your hands in so many different areas as a professional musician. I wanted to ask your opinion about the future of classical music and some of the traditions that still exist, particularly how it's funded and how we continue to make classical music available and relevant. Well, I'm in the performing side of it, so I will be just telling you my impression. Not not my knowledge, because somebody in the administrative field, administration, they will actually know how it really works. I'm honestly jealous of the time when <laughs> when a patron will uh, kind of adopt somebody that they love. I think that relationship, I'm not sure how it's viewed now, but in reality, thanks to this really wealthy blue blood people, we have a lot of the music we have now. It's kind of hard to point a finger at the very source that <laughs> made it possible in the human world, you know? I do think it's a beautiful thing talking about that relationship. There was a cellist who, his patrons, he just got to hang out at this really beautiful compound out in California and rehearse every day. And he's like, here's where I'm living for two months. And I'm like, that's part of the classical tradition, but it's still around. It is, it is kind of interesting, yes. Uh, the flip side is that the the audiences that we tend to attract do not do not represent the average uh, citizen of the city you live in. Let's say New York City. Yes, is, you're at Manhattan School of Music teaching currently. Like yes, that. that's correct. Yes. Okay. Um. So let's say Manhattan School of Music, New York City. It's one of the most diverse cities in America for sure, mm -hmm. and uh, probably in the world, right? Mm -hmm. But if you survey who comes to watch New York Philharmonic play? The audience represents a very small percentage of the actual constituency, of the, like the, the actual citizens of that area. What I'm trying to say is that the, the audience still belongs to, let's say, that tradition of more or less middle-aged people with wealth, which by all means, we, I mean, we really appreciate that audience i mean as i said thanks to them a lot of great music exists and most of my concerts are underwritten by perhaps th that type of audience but i think as musicians we have to develop a, a relationship with the average audience as well if we want our music to survive yes and that hits on such a good topic of how do we reach younger audiences and yeah, I just feel like there are a ton of different ways. Like you said, we could get the younger generations and support from them. You were born in Cuba? I was born in Cuba, yes. You okay. met my brother. 
Yes. Uh, you know, you mentioned my brother, and uh, we we have a documentary out. Yes. That's they aired it here, and I didn't know about it. So I, because I interviewed him like the day after, because it was on a Sunday. Oh, I see. And he told me about it, and then when I um saw your email, I was like, "This is his brother that he was talking about." Yeah. So I did want to ask you about that because some of our listeners. Have our you know, our audience has seen that and they've heard from Aldo. So yes, uh, you see, well, I, I'm, I'm not the director. It's about me and my brother. Yeah, and uh, it, yet it explores how I left Cuba when I was 14. I went to Russia to study violin there. That was like the go-to place for Cubans. We couldn't dream of going to Julia or, or the States or any Western country. Was that in Moscow? Yes, that was okay. in Moscow. And I have That's to say, it. yeah, in the late 80s, that was 88. Um, that was one of the most thought after schools yeah. that happened to be in the in the socialist block where, you know, it was an actual possibility to go. Mm -hmm. So we got separated, my brother and I, because of that. He's six years younger. So I miss him dearly. It was it was a terrible separation. My mom came with me, though, so I forever grateful to her yeah it's hard that even though again it's that tradition of um like mozart and going off on their own at such a young age but it had <laughs> yes. to have been scary very scary even though i had her the she came back after after my first year obviously she just wanted to uh, get me acclimated and uh that's it then i i basically grew up away from my brother my baby brother who i you know love so much yeah. so this documentary uh, explores how we reconnected uh him living in cuba me in the states is very it made it very hard because of the geopolitical situation but finally he was able to come to perform with the harlem quartet mm -hmm. and uh, and this movie people from uh, san francisco yeah ken and marcia they when they heard his coming it just you know like a, a light <laughs> came up in their brains like now we have this story and uh, so they follow us touring you know they got our reactions everywhere we were and then they follow me when i went to cuba for for the holidays new year's eve and so on and uh, see some behind the scenes of you with family and you know the culture like food and style and architecture is such a big part of the music and culture absolutely you know? and they they actually film us talking uh, about making an album and how it was we, we couldn't make it before that for one reason or another and that stuck with their heads in the, in the movie the movie directors so they wanted to make sure we would do an album finally we are like yes really? we are we are already in our prime awesome. and also they can actually now hear the the last scene of the of the of the movie is us making an album and it, it is out so they can they can um, go to actually it's out in uh, aldo's website okay. so i probably should give you a link because a lot of people ask me that question yes and i want to yes. link it to the podcast story page and then our okay. social media as well nice um, so you really lit up when you were talking about that is is um recording that live album with your brother first of all why couldn't you and then is recording is that one of your favorite parts that recording process that's like an excellent question so the first half why couldn't we sometimes it was as simple as schedule other times it had to do with 
funding mm -hmm. because this stuff, uh, unless you have a label, you have to save money and, and commit a, a chunk of time to doing and you self-fund these kind of things. Your hours in the studio, they go quick and yes. you want to savor every minute. Yes, and, and also recording is not a profitable endeavor. It's, it's more of a, you want to leave a legacy. And that brings me yeah. to why it's part of my favorite thing is because we, we feel that we, we cannot be, you know, in person to everyone, but in front of everybody. But once you leave a recording, it's like you print part of your soul. And it's like you're sharing something very special. And if nothing else, your kids will <laughs> we have something tangible that came from the spirit, you know? I buy vinyl because, of course, it kind of came back in fashion. But yeah. I, I think of the big vinyl and, you know, the sleeve and the um, even reading up on where it was produced and recorded. I'm like, that's a piece of art to me that I want to have. That's in very interesting. We also thought about it. it there is a, compo a practical component, like carrying that. It's complicated in planes and <laughs> not to I break know. it. And, and shipping it too. It's like... Yeah, I, think, it's like I think we're going to evolve to a point where you... You get the music in a flash or something, and then at home we can print the vinyl. I think we're gonna get to that oh, point. Oh, cool! Yes, because it will sound better. Well, and a big part of it, like I said, is seeing like how what does their cover look like. I like seeing who who was your producer, recording engineer, your guest musicians, and yeah, the sometimes you've got your own poetry or lyrics, and I think those are. You know, those are the kind of, those are the pieces of art that I collect. I like it. I like yeah. that. And I, I, I am a fan of uh, thoughts in words. So even though our music doesn't have lyrics, I'm, I'm going to think about that for the next time. <laughs> Thanks to yeah. your conversation. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I know you guys have cover covered Debussy and you've got some really wonderful contemporary uh, pieces on what I, found most recent your most recent album but Aldo was talking about um WC and then I played classical guitar in college that's my instrument I studied so I loved Leo Brower who's still living and you know yes. I, I think he's still doing stuff I think Aldo has actually worked with him a little bit and yes. I was telling him about uh his piano music and I was like it really reminds me of a watercolor painting and he just mentioned that Debussy was such a big influence and I'm curious who your biggest influences were because you went to Russia at 14 and that's like uh adolescence seems to be a really impressionable time you know teenage angst and what were you absorbing then and is that some of you know your favorite and most memorable you know, a lot of things in Russia had to do with nature for me because mm. winter it's uh, it's a very foreign thing to, to me. Oh, okay. So yeah. um, to to I, I remember being very inspired by the you know you look out and everything is white and uh, and, and very often. Can... Oh, I'm yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. Don't. You probably had a better understanding of white noise. That peaceful, <laughs> quiet sound. Yes, anyway. yes. Yeah. No, yes, yes, definitely. And uh, they were uh, fascinating uh, sounds that I never heard there. 
for instance, they have an orchestra of balalaika, mm -hmm. the, the, the little guitar thing, instrument, yes. but by orchestra, even Aldo didn't quite understand. I had to really repeat myself. They have like first violin, second violins, viola, all of that with different size balalaika. Have you ever heard something like that? And the big, big balalaika, humongous, that sounds like a bass. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I know I've heard balalaika, but probably not like that kind of stuff. How big does the balalaika get? The, the balalaika, it's, I cannot even tell you, but <laughs> it's a very, very large instrument like that sounds cello maybe not as big because okay because they they still put it they they still uh put it in their lap and it must be quite loud because isn't the body the back of it rounded yes okay i think so and also but picture 80 of those and oh then you God. understand the magic yeah Ooh. with every register like soprano imitating violin so a lot of the normal compositions you hear like i didn't hear beethoven but i heard tchaikovsky i heard yeah. russian russian composers and it sounds like a complete like many voices doing polyrhythmic stuff and polyphony and yes so that that's a very very unique uh sound that's a unique experience yes just like that, I've never heard anyone tell that story of 80 balalaikas? Yes, it's like a regular ensemble with salary. It's like they have their balalaika orchestra. They had, I don't know anymore. And the other amazing sound, I'm just talking about sounds now, yeah. is the Orthodox Church have an incredible uh, choir. Mm. Like really, really special. Very low voices. I never heard that. Really? Very low. Yes. And they could do piano like I never heard. Like they start almost like a whisper sound. I'm like, what is actually sounding? All of these people, by the way, also the look of the people is uh, is incredible. For my eyes, I'm like in a cartoon or in like, it's, it's not normal. These white beards with this, you know, <laughs> it's like very different for me. Like I'm, I'm a 14 year old Cuban. I'm oh, a dark yeah. guy. And yeah. I see these people <laughs> and they sound like otherworldly too. <laughs> very low, very soft. Whoa. Yes, and and I notice I notice that somewhere in the subconscious of every musician there is the sounds they hear. So I'm sure that these two very particular sonorities is part of the common sonority that most Russian musicians hear when they play in a quartet or in an, they, they can they because there is a way of producing the sound that I notice uh, is very vocal over there. I'm I'm being very very like uh I mean it's a generality you know it's not it's not yes. yeah it's, so how has that affected your approach to music or playing style I don't think it uh, yeah I don't think it was a a conscious decision but yeah. I'm just appreciating the the fact that these experiences become part of your creative mind so like if, if there is a section in a quartet that has to sound like a choir, it, 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 I go there, I, I picture that or like, yes. Can you explain to our listeners and to me, let's say you were writing a quartet, what is coming into the composer's mind first? I assume it's different for everyone. And me too, but I think... Um, generally it's kind of like a state of mind that you want to capture in sound. Mm. It's like a feeling, because I remember with the balalaika, 
they could sustain the sound by repeating the plucking constantly. It's like in violin tremolo. So they sustain everything. It never, it never wave. It never like goes down unless they want to. So I remember that effect. That's all they can do. They constantly doing tremolo to sound like it, it continues. Mm -hmm. So imagine these vibrations that never, never go down, because they they sustain it by doing and crescendos diminuendo were really unbelievable. So and that makes you kind of definitely takes you to a dream zone. Yeah. Uh, and most of the harmonies also they were like uh, like minor melodic minor which is it just sounds more like a like a fable type of music you it's, you're watching you're watching like a an epic story of back in the days made into music it's very folky too what were your parents like from a young age because you and aldo you're touring musicians, you're living that dream life of making music and art and teaching and just creating. Well, they both um, were musicians, so they understood. Uh, my dad's still alive and he's a fantastic composer and conductor. My mom oh, was yeah. a phenomenal pianist and, and a pedagogue, probably the most you know influential pedagogue back in Cuba. And uh, they both also studied in Russia, but they studied as, a, as you know, college. No, no, they didn't go when they were 14. <laughs> so yeah. so they understood when my teacher, I also had a Russian teacher growing up in the elementary school. She told the, the, the minister of culture at the time that she's some along the lines that she couldn't teach me anymore. <laughs> that if you want, if you want Ilmar to develop, you yeah. should send him abroad. Otherwise, he's going to get stagnant here. In other wow. words, I'm paraphrasing, but that was the idea. Wow. And um Back then, I was considered a, a prodigy before my white hair. <laughs> now it would be a, quite a mature prodigy. But hey, yeah, people pay I, to have that look in their hair. Now, think, it's true. It's fashionable now. <laughs> like when I see young people with white hair on purpose, I'm like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, pull you it can off well. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Um, so can you touch again, since you were just talking about your parents, I assume they pop up a little in the documentary. Was the focus of it your relationship? Yes, it's about the brothers. and uh, But it, it had also a very nice um, nuance of the different perspective of each brother to, let's say, United States, Cuba, the, the, the reality in Cuba, the reality in the United States. Because each of us, you know, are kind of shaped by our surroundings mm -hmm. and the, 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 the yeah the movie is very clever showing how we react uh, similarly and different to to different situations yeah was that comfortable for you did you just kind of get to a point where you could be natural and not think too much about cameras following you and documenting your personal life and interactions in a, yeah Actually, at first it was a little intrusive, but then you you start ignoring. You know when we notice we're ignoring this when we start complaining about having a mic for God that they're listening. This oh. is such this is such a pain. You know we cannot even fart. Something like that. Somebody one of us said that. You know why they have to listen to this? We're in a bus and we speak in Spanish anyway. So what's the point? And we forgot that 
they're recording all of that. Oh, Once we so had a awesome. I know we had a, a mic from a bus ride from New York to Boston. Okay. And she said, Do you mind just if we leave you with the mics? You just go ahead and speak Spanish, do your normal thing. She's sometimes you get material from the least expected. And um, we are like reluctantly thinking, Well, sure. But then we forgot we had it and we started just, you know, complaining <laughs> about that. <laughs> <laughs> that is so perfect. You could you could put those in the the bloopers at the yeah. end of the movie. Oh, I know you have your upcoming performance here in Phoenix. Before we get to the program details and what you want to highlight, I am curious your impression of music and the cultures within some of your favorite cities here in the states. I know you cover a Dizzy Gillespie tune, and of course, he is a legend. And he's—I believe—he's from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I think you're right, actually. Um. So, what is your favorite city or area that's very unique to you here in the states? Yes, that's a great question. Um, I love big personality cities, big contrast, and I mean by nature the nature of the place and the personality of the people. So as you know, the 50 states, they have a lot of personality, but at the same time, it's homogeneous. Something about seeing uh, McDonald's everywhere and Walmart everywhere, or the same hotel chains. Sometimes you can get confused, where am I? Uh, unless, yes. seriously, unless you unless you make a point in uh, uh, searching and, you know, on purpose, pur very purposeful, about yes. finding what's unique about the food, about the people, different accents. So I found a few cities to really speak to me. Uh, I'm in one of them, New York. It's very special. San Francisco, I think, is phenomenal. I go crazy with the cliff and the bridge and the water. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And well, the Redwood Forest is phenomenal. It's just so, yeah, they film Planet of the Ape there. I love the scene when the when the apes are, uh, you know, hanging from the Golden Gate Bridge. Because yeah. Golden Gate Bridge is one of my favorites. And I did exactly that. I crossed the bridge and I took the first exit to the Red, not first, but it, it comes pretty soon, to the Redwood Forest, which this, uh, I don't know, ancient trees that are really tall. Yes. And it makes I... you feel so connected to, to to Mother Earth. It's phenomenal, that, that place. And they also have these cliffs and you see um, seals. There's a little place that the seals kind of took over a dwarf, like uh, where the boats park. And humans, instead of, instead of you know chasing the seals away, they made a statue of a seal and made it a tourist attraction. And that's the mentality that I like. Ah, yes, yes. yes. I'm excited. I'm going to check that out now because I had no idea yeah. about that. Oh, on top of the Planet of the Apes comment, la your most recent release, and I might be wrong about this, it featured some contemporary music that sounded like, okay, under the under an indigo sky that came out this year. Some of it sounds like it's film music with the Charleston Symphony. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. So I, I think you're... Uh, the Harlem Quartet and then you, I'm assuming, are just kind of yes. featured in certain pieces. But yes. there was the Under an Indigo Sky by Edward Hart, I'm not familiar with. And then the other concerto, a Charleston concerto by Edward Hart. Some of that sounds like really brilliant film music to me. 
It's true. I love that Charleston is a very special city. Talking about special cities. So the city of Charleston actually commissioned this gentleman to write, to commemorate, to celebrate a 200th anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. Okay? okay. It's a big number. It's a big, big number. Anyhow, the music sounds like the city. I like his mentality. So he wrote the influences that made the city the city into music. So obviously African influence, Native American influence, and it's a very unique uh, project because it's an entire quartet feature as soloist. Usually soloist is one, maybe sometimes two, depending. Like now uh, we are in Tucson, Arizona, and I'm playing a piece written for viola and violin soloist. It's the Sinfonia Concertante by okay. Mozart. Okay. But that's, that's pretty exceptional. You know, usually yeah. soloist, as you know, is one guy, one person. So yes. this is a quartet being featured. So we had uh, a prominent, you know, passages and stuff that, and I think it's so great. If you think about the concept, you know, you don't have to pick a cello or a viola or a violin. You can just showcase everybody individually and then boom, as a quartet and it sounds awesome. Like we have moments where you have the quartet and then the whole orchestra responding to that musical material. And it's, it's super exciting. Before we wrap things up, what is something that you're excited to feature on the program? We love Fanny Mendelssohn. Also, we love the whole mentality of showcasing pieces that deserve to be showcased and are written by female composers. The stronger story is Fanny Mendelssohn because he, her brother Felix Mendelssohn is an absolute genius. He's, I love, I love his music, but. Most people didn't know that the baby sister was also a very gifted composer and she was not encouraged at home because of the you know stereotypes of the time. But Felix helped her like doing homework and kind of encouraged her. The music is gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And um, the writing is not too constrained by rules. So that's the over, overarching arc in the program. We have Jesse Montgomery, who is actually a friend of mine and a friend of Melissa White. She's an excellent violinist that we know for a long time. And we are ecstatic to see that she's becoming acclaimed uh, because yeah. now society is giving a place to female composers. Mm -hmm. And the other female composer that is extraordinary is Carolyn Shaw. Mm -hmm. and They just got a Grammy uh, with uh, a piece that we are performing. Entract means intermission in French. And uh, it's based on a, on a Haydn uh, minuet, actually. But it's so masterfully done. It's, it's a very unique sonority. So these three female composers are each completely different and each phenomenal from different time period. And uh, the writing is very specific to each, but they all are kind of groundbreaking in their own way. Yeah. And uh, the other piece we're playing um, is Night in Tunisia, Dizzy Gillespie, of course. And uh, because we think that genres should be respected, each, each genre is, is the same and it's not an anchor. It's just a different kind of music and we practice intonation, good sound, all the same, mm -hmm. even though it's, it's jazz. And um, we really try to educate both musicians and audiences into giving the due respect to musics that are not from the classical idiom. Mm -hmm. 
That's Grammy Award-winning Cuban-American violinist Ilmar Gavilan. He'll be leading the Harlem Quartet this Saturday, November 11th, in a performance as part of the 64th season with the Phoenix Chamber Music Society. The concert begins at 7.30 p.m. and takes place at Central United Methodist Church in Phoenix. Tickets and more information at phoenixchambermusicsociety.org or ilmargavilan.com. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.